Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast, the podcast focused on helping civil engineering professionals succeed by exposing them to interesting civil engineering projects and successful civil engineering professionals around the world. Hosts Anthony Fasano and Christian Knutson had successful but unconventional civil engineering careers and now focus on helping civil engineering professionals achieve their goals in work and life. Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. I'm your host for today, Chris Knutson, and this is the podcast specifically for civil engineers who want to succeed. And in today's episode, I'm going to be talking with Orson Smith about how Arctic engineers are facing the challenges of a changing climate. I want to also say thanks to all the listeners that are out there and to tell you that, hey, I'm back in front of the mic, really enjoying uh, doing this again. I've got a great episode for you here. Get a little bit technical in this one, but it's enjoyable for me, and I think you're going to enjoy it as well. And I've got several more in the pipeline, and I'm looking forward to sharing all those with all of you out there around the world. But before we dive into the main segment of the show, I want to take a moment and recognize our sponsor, PPI. Now, if you're thinking about taking the civil FE or PE exam, I recommend that you check out PPI because they're the leader in civil engineering exam prep. PPI is offering a special 20% discount to listeners of the podcast. Just use promo code CIVIL at ppi2pass.com. Again, that's PPI, the number two, pass.com, and use promo code CIVIL for a 20% discount. Now, before we go into the engineering conversation, I want to introduce you to our guest so you have a little bit more information on what his background is. Dr. Orson Smith, PE, is a professor emeritus of civil engineering at University of Alaska Anchorage and a professional engineer in Alaska. He's a past department chair of the civil engineering department as well as interim dean, and he's a highly sought-after expert in Arctic engineering and coastal protection in cold regions. His research interests have focused on coastal, port, harbor, ocean, and Arctic engineering, renewable energy, and climate change impacts on engineering works. Dr. Smith has served on the ASCE's Technical Council on Cold Regions Engineering and was a member of the Task Committee on Adaptation to Climate Change and also was the 2015 Albert Rice Memorial Lecture Award winner for Cold Regions. And in this conversation, you're going to be learning about what Arctic engineering is, And you're going to get a glimpse at some of the challenges engineers face in designing horizontal and vertical structures in cold regions. And we're also going to talk about the impact of climate change and how this affects our jobs as civil engineers for designing infrastructure and buildings for a 50-plus year of service life. So a lot of information in this one. We get a little technical, but I think you're going to enjoy it. Let's just jump into today's civil engineering conversation. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. Now it's time for this week's Civil Engineering Conversation, where we talk with Orson Smith, Professor Emeritus of Civil Engineering, College of Engineering from the University of Alaska Anchorage, and a professional engineer. Orson, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thank you, Chris. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, and we're really glad to have you on the show today, because today we're going to be talking about Arctic engineering, which is a topic that uh, I suspect is not one that many of the listening audiences had a chance to even think about or has practiced. So this is really going to be an eye-opener for not only myself as we go through this interview, but really for a lot of the other listeners that are going to be on the show today. So we're going to jump right in, learn a lot about Arctic engineering, learn about some of the unique challenges that are associated with it, and be able to provide everyone with some really good information on where they can learn more about cold regions engineering and how they may be able to actually apply some of these lessons to the lower 48 and more moderate climate. I want to start off first, Orson, right up front by asking a question. So how long has Arctic engineering as a specific academic discipline 
existed in civil engineering? Chris, I don't have a precise answer, but I, a few milestones come to mind. The Army Corps of Engineers established the Cold Regions Research and Engineering Laboratory in 1961, and that is still a good place to go. Their website has lots of information on cold regions engineering applications and current research. So in the 60s, I would say the discipline or the specialty in the traditional disciplines, such as civil engineering and mechanical engineering, became established. Lots of research was underway, and through the 70s, we saw here in Alaska, where I live, and I'm registered here as a PE, a requirement by the Board of Registration for architects, engineers, and land surveyors to have a course, college-level course, in Arctic engineering. So that's quite explicit. And then on into the 1980s, both the University of Alaska Fairbanks and the University of Alaska Anchorage established graduate programs in Arctic engineering, both leading to a Master of Science degree. That's what I can say about dates. It is uh, recognized by both the American Society of Civil Engineers and the American Society of Mechanical Engineers in organizational elements that develop guidelines for their membership to practice risk. I seem to recall that ASCE specifically has a cold regions, I don't know if I call it a committee or an organization, but there's a cold regions element within ASCE. It may be a, a discipline practice. Are you familiar with that component? Yes, I've been involved with the Technical Council on Cold Regions Engineering. Everyone calls it TICKER for short. Also established uh, some decades ago now and continues to provide the ASCE membership with uh, current guidance on various aspects of civil engineering practice in cold regions. Yeah, that TICKER is a really good place to go for information. We'll link up the uh, website for that technical council, and, and as well as the Cold Regions Lab at the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, we had a little bit of conversation before the uh, interview recording started, and I had an opportunity over the past year to work with several uh, Scandinavian countries on development of a, of a Cold Regions uh, guide for what I'll just call expedient engineering activities in Arctic environments, and two of our technical experts that were involved were, were from the Cold Regions Lab with the Corps of Engineers up in New Hampshire. So I agree with you. They're a very, a very good lab, a lot of experts that, uh, that operate out of that uh, organization. So it's a good source for information. And I'll certainly link them up. As we kind of pick apart here, Arctic engineering is a specific academic discipline within civil engineering. What are the, some of the elements of it that make it unique from maybe what I'll just call, for lack of a better terminology, uh, you know, standard civil engineering or, or traditional civil engineering. What is the demand for this level of expertise, you know, in specific industries per se? Chris, it's uh, multidisciplinary in terms of the preparation, the sort of the prerequisite courses that a person should have to specialize in uh, Arctic or cold regions engineering. 
certainly it has seen development in the civil engineering and mechanical engineering curricula at universities like my university at UAA. The temperature range is lower, reaching well into the freezing water range that is an important transition. Engineers uh, designing systems have to deal with uh, moisture budgets, moisture control in all three phases, uh, vapor, liquid water, and ice, and be prepared for their effects. The cause of those phase changes is heat transfer, so that's generally considered a mechanical engineering sort of a, a course anyway in curricula. So heat transfer is an important fundamental principle that has to be mastered in cold regions engineering. Ultimately, it's multidisciplinary, and these civil and mechanical engineering are such broad fields anyway that a person practicing foundation engineering, a geotechnical engineer, will be interested in phase changes of water in the soil and the effects it has on foundations. The utilities engineer will be interested in how these extreme temperatures can affect the water supply system or wastewater disposal system. So there, the uh, civil and mechanical engineering disciplines are the most concerned in my view, but there are even uh, electrical engineering aspects that need to be understood. Behavior of materials can change, including conductivity and certainly the connections in an electrical system can be at risk in a cold climate. Those are all aspects that are really interesting. I mean, just from my own, and I hit the rewind button on my own life and go back to growing up in northern Michigan where it wasn't uh, uncommon to have you know, temperatures that went down into the negative 20, negative 30 almost. I've got an experience of being in northern Minnesota where it was negative 40 uh, Fahrenheit. And, and as you mentioned, Orson, the, uh, you know, kind of the phase changes in water, but really materials behaviors, which I think can be a very serious issue uh, to have to deal with as an engineer when you look at especially vertical construction. So with that in mind, you've already touched on phase changes and material property adjustments. What are really, you know, some of the, in your mind, a few of the major issues that someone who's an Arctic engineer really needs to keep in mind when they're looking at, uh, let's say, kind of segregate this into horizontal construction and then vertical construction, because obviously both of those take place up in the uh, Arctic environment. Horizontal construction like roads and airfields and systems like that, the foundation is a concern. In any cold region, whether it's Minnesota or northern Alaska, these changes uh, back and forth across the freezing temperature, the freeze-thaw cycles in the soil can have a dramatic effect if the soil isn't well, the foundation I mean, is, is not well drained beneath the pavement. So the frost heave impacts can occur, degradation of the road surface with ruts, potholes, all of these weakenings of both the foundation and the pavement itself can occur if the effects of cold temperatures aren't taken into account. There are lots of studies on asphalt design for roads and concrete design as well that 
are attuned to uh, operation in cold regions. Then going on to the impacts of snowfall, ice formation on the road surface, the debate continues whether studded tires are better than regular maintenance and uh, salting and sanding of roadways. Those are some aspects of, of horizontal construction. And uh, vertical construction, uh, like uh, buildings for uh, working and living environment, uh, the efficient containment of heat in a healthy interior for people to live and work is the concern where we delve into where we work with our colleagues in the architecture field to make buildings that don't use excessive energy to be heated and that the materials of the buildings don't degrade from moisture migration and the insulation. It's pretty common to have vapor barriers and so forth, but the moisture management becomes critical in vertical construction. So those are some key matters that come to mind. Thanks, Orson. And, you know, what I'm drawing away from both horizontal and even vertical construction is we keep coming back to moisture, to water, a very basic element, very basic aspect of, of our environment wherever we are, but it, it seems to be a, a very important component when we're talking about uh, engineering up in the Arctic environment. I'm going to shift our conversation to stay in the cold regions of the Arctic, but I'm going to introduce now a new aspect, which I know a lot of our audience and really everyone is very attuned into, especially today, which has to do with regards to climate change and uh, everything that we hear about the warming of the Arctic and the challenges that exist in that region and really, quite frankly, throughout the rest of the world, but obviously mostly up in the Arctic and the colder region environments. Just to kind of delve into this topic just a little bit, I kind of want to ask, uh, we were already talking, you already mentioned, especially in the horizontal construction, some of the challenges that come with uh, freeze-thaw cycles uh, in the design and construction of horizontal surfaces, pavements on roads and airfields. But with climate change and increasing temperatures in the cold regions area, what effects are more frequent freeze-thaw cycles having on, on built infrastructure? And what are some of the mitigation measures that are being taken to address this issue for both horizontal and vertical construction? Well, if I get the question, uh, the uh, impacts of climate change are a concern for sure. In the Arctic and subarctic, where we still have uh, permanently frozen ground or permafrost, this can be a little more than frozen mud in its uh, consistency. Ice, uh, thaw susceptible ground, ice is a pretty good foundation as long as it stays frozen. But when it thaws, you're left with the liquid and solid phase of whatever was there when the freezing occurred. If it's over a lake or a pond, then you've got real trouble if you've built a roadway there, and unless it stays cold. So a lot of the strategies to deal with permafrost for all of these decades since the 60s when people became interested in Arctic engineering have to do with avoiding the thawing of permafrost or even making steps to uh, keep it frozen, literally to uh, refrigerate the ground so that it doesn't thaw. That's a big challenge. One thing I wanted to share 
as far as Arctic engineers in Alaska go, and some other places too, uh, in the U.S. and Canada. In uh, January 2000, I hosted conference, a technical meeting at, in Anchorage, and the topic was the impacts of a warming world on engineering practice. A lot of people showed a, a surprising number, including people from the Army Cold Regions Lab and other places besides Alaska. We had a great turnout of Alaskan engineers, the, the real the veterans, the vanguard of the 60s interest in Arctic engineering were there. And the comment that sticks in my mind is that they all claim that we've been dealing with thawing conditions and permafrost challenges like this our whole career, that we have a toolkit to deal with these matters of thawing permafrost. Climate change may be increasing, but it's actually been occurring for hundreds of years on a lesser rate. So thawing permafrost, yeah, that's a common experience. It has been for decades. The key issue is going to keep accelerating. What's the future? Civil engineers are designing works that are meant to last 50, 100 years, and it's becoming harder and harder as the climate information grows about how to predict uh, the conditions uh, many decades from now. I've got experience in designing and constructing both vertical and horizontal structures in uh, very arid environments in the deserts. And obviously, I, I, you know, my personal and professional hope is that we never get to that point. In a lot of the areas within the continental U.S. and certainly in the cold regions areas, but it becomes a, a very vexing problem, I know, for your area up in Alaska and many of the other cold regions areas where traditionally maybe freeze-thaw cycles weren't as more prevalent, as much of a challenge as perhaps it's presenting now. It's interesting to hear that the climate change discussion has been going on for, at least within the technical professional realm, has been going on for many years, not just, let's say, in the last decade with the popular press. And I, I think that, that just kind of corresponds back to how we as engineers and uh, as scientists approach these types of issues. You know, we just deal with them as they come and we understand what's happening. I'll just refer back to the popular press and the media. There are some challenges that exist with climate change and some of those issues that are taking place, even up in Alaska. I listened to, uh, even heard a uh, NPR uh, radio podcast here in the last month or so that had to do with regards to a, a town in Alaska. And I know there's a couple of different ones that have had some challenges with coastal erosion as examples of rising waters and some of those other effects that are going on with regards to coastal to climate change. So from your perspective, when we get into Arctic engineering and the effects of climate change and dealing with those issues in the cold regions, what are some of the aspects or some of the efforts that are that are being taken place by engineering professionals uh, to, to help with you know, these real-world situations that are taking place with regards to coastal erosion and the increase in temperatures in the cold regions? Right. It is an interesting question, and it happens that coastal engineering is my personal specialty as far as training and practice goes. 
example. I've done that here in Alaska and have visited some of these places such as Kivalina, Shishmaref, Mutak that are the often in the news for their coastal erosion issues and concern for climate change and sea level rise. Sea level rise is real. It's measured, lots of evidence for it. It's, it's on a scale of a centimeter a year or two, and that's enough, again, in the time scale of civil engineering works meant to last 50 years or more uh, for real concern. What you find in, in the details, and we know who dwells there, is that these uh, coastal villages in rural Arctic Alaska have, uh, well, if I'll, I can borrow a phrase from the health profession, these these rural coastal villages have uh, co-occurring disorders. They have other problems besides coastal erosion, such as water supply, wastewater disposal, actually livable land area for a growing population, and challenges to provide a 21st century standard of living in a place where there isn't a, a modern economy that people live off the land. It's a very important cultural aspect that Alaska natives cling to. The subsistence lifestyle is very important. So uh, fishing and hunting was the reason for locating in these coastal sites that are now eroding, where a town of hundreds of people have, have grown up and schools have been built and public agencies have uh, provided for uh, health clinics and all of this infrastructure has grown in a place that wasn't the best choice for a town. So you have all of these issues there. And then on top of that, coastal erosion. So coastal shore protection is kind of like that comment about thawing permafrost. There's a toolkit, sort of the engineer's motto, all it takes is money. So you can build Shore protection works that will protect the town, hold the shoreline at, at least for a decade or two uh, with confidence. But is that the right thing to do? Or should they actually move away from the hazard and perhaps to a place where there are other advantages for community growth, water supply, solid and liquid waste disposal? The other challenges that they also have being, in the case of Kivalina, on a fairly isolated barrier island on the Chukchi Sea. So it is kind of a complicated question, but the protection can be built if uh, somebody, the public uh, or whoever is willing to pay for it. In the Arctic, the uh, in these kind of places, uh, shore protection can a rule of thumb that I've seen recently applied is uh, 10,000 US dollars per linear foot. So if you have hundreds of feet at that cost, that's the cost of building a rock revetment or seawall or some sort of solid shore protection, it, it's very, very expensive. And that's the torment of these villages, in fact, is we want to live here. It, it's our culture, to live off the land, have a subsistence lifestyle, and this is a good place for that. So then there are other things changing, though, in the coastal environment of Alaska and the Arctic around the world. 
the ice is retreating. That's in the paper. So it, it forms later in the year on into the winter rather than early fall. And it disappears sooner in the spring. And in the recent years, uh, it sometimes uh, is only intermittent throughout the winter along the coast. Now, the ice for uh, these the subsistence uh, hunting and fishing activities is a part of, of the tradition that you can travel on the ice uh, places you can't in the summer. You can reach places for hunting and fishing that you can't uh, as easily by boat. Well, if there's no ice, then that isn't a problem. It's an adverse impact. Well, from an engineer's point of view, there's another impact that affects coastal erosion, that exacerbates the issue that might have existed whether or not there were climate change. Barrier islands are, are transient features in a geological sense. So if you have all this uh, open water in the winter, which is a windier time anyway, and low pressure systems forming in the Bering Sea and Chukchi Sea, and new systems forming from the open water that didn't used to be there, there's a lot more wind. And the wind won't generate waves if the ice covers the water surface. But it certainly does if it's open water. There is more energy from waves, which is the primary cause of coastal erosion. That's the force that brings an effect of a retreating shoreline. Is high energy waves. Well, there's more of that in the winter. So it's getting worse and worse as the ice retreats. And that's a phenomenon that's seen all around the globe in the Arctic and cold regions. And it's a good presentation of not only environmental effects and how those need to be addressed or considered from an engineering perspective, but the social and the cultural aspects as well. I've done some reading on the uh, subsistence living of up in the Alaskan area, and it, it is very interesting. It, obviously, from an engineer standpoint, you have a lot of experience, obviously, from your time of living in Alaska and working there, a strong understanding of, of that cultural aspect to it, which is, in I would suspect, in the engineering work that you do, a very important component that has to be taken into account. Well, certainly it is. It's uh, very much a part of practice here in Alaska. But it's uh, also, I think, good practice anywhere to uh, take account of long-time residents and cultural, and historical, even archaeological aspects of a, a site. And all engineers have to do that everywhere. But here, these issues of isolated rural communities in the Arctic, these are most certainly going to be predominantly Alaska natives, and they write, uh, you can't practice up here without understanding something. You can't do a good job without understanding something about their wants and needs. And that's a really good point, really, for engineers that operate anywhere. We talk so much in project terminology about understanding the needs of the client, but there's need and requirement to understand the perspectives of the culture that's involved. And uh, I've had an opportunity to operate in many different locations around the globe. And, and there certainly are different cultural aspects that have to be taken into account no matter where you're doing your engineering work. So that's a very good point. I'm going to take your experience from up in, in Alaska and ask you a question about how 
some of those aspects of, of engineering in the cold regions areas might be translated into design considerations in the lower 48, or let's just say more moderate climates. There's obviously some more extreme climatical changes in Alaska in the more cold regions or Arctic environment. I would presume some of those aspects are probably can be translated into more moderate climates. What do you think some of those aspects might be that an engineer, civil engineer, may want to consider when they're looking at their designs? Sure. There's a growing body of literature on all sorts of changes brought on by a warming climate, a globally warming climate. Now, hydrological changes are one uh, one type of uh, impact of climate change that affects everyone everywhere. It manifests in different ways in different regions. But the changes in precipitation patterns, that's a global thing. The climate change information as far as projections and predicting and developing design criteria come from global models after all. Global circulation models are the foremost tool for predicting the future climate. So that's the scale on which predictions are made uh, the entire globe and you have to uh, interpolate from these large-scale models down into a region and the precipitation perhaps a shift from less snowfall and more rainfall or different seasons for the maximum more frequent and intense uh, rainstorms uh, the these are engineers including civil and mechanical engineers in particular now need to know more about the weather and the climate than maybe they did before. The uh, curves and codes and sorts of guidelines that apply are typically based on historical data records, say recordings of a river stage or stream flow, hydrological terms. Uh, The impact of climate change is not certainly not constant. I mean, it's changing. So that's one challenge that to take an average of decades of history and saying that those that's the same pattern you're going to see in the future, that just doesn't work anymore. You have to make some allowance for this change, and it is challenging. And the guidelines are still uh, forming. What I've read, the ASCE guidelines, the ASME guidelines, and the guidelines of the Corps of Engineers and the U.S. Navy and agencies who have formed policies for uh, their engineering works and design criteria, they're, they're still on the vague side, I have to say. They all encourage engineers to consider climate change, but they don't tell you exactly how to do it. Everyone has an obligation now, I believe, through one of these sets of guidelines to address climate change in in designing engineering works. I agree with you entirely on on the component that you just mentioned about the the vagueness amongst the different agencies within the U.S. when it comes to the aspect of how do you address uh, climate change in your designs. I mean, it's from my own personal experience over the past uh, 12 months and some of the work that I've done, there is certainly no one set standard within the U.S. that says this is how you will address or consider climate change matters when you look at your designs. 
in that certainly presents a challenge, you know, as we've been talking, and as you've mentioned, when we're looking at designing structures, either whether they be uh, horizontal or vertical for design life of 50 years or, or so, so that that presents some significant challenges uh, that, that each of us civil engineers is going to have to address and just consider as we look at our designs. And, and it would be great to be able to say that this is the way to do this or to address it. But unfortunately, we're not in that position yet. So it's certainly a, a challenge. I said there's a growing body of literature and societies and agencies have all published guidelines. I I did want to mention one particular publication. It's from the American Society of Civil Engineers Committee on Adaptation to a Changing Climate. And the title is Adapting Infrastructure and Civil Engineering Practice to a Changing Climate. And yes, I was a contributor. That, that was a large group over several years, uh, put this publication together. It came out in 2015. It's available through the ASCE. As an overview, it's pretty good. It cites all of the guidelines that were published in 2015, policy statements, and it reviews the evolution of uh, global circulation models and how engineers have used their output to develop design criteria. All this is still evolving, but to get caught up on climate change and engineering practice, uh, particularly for civil engineers, that's a good publication. We will provide a link uh, to the source for that document on the ASCE website. I also have one, again, just because of my own professional background and experience with the Department of Defense. The Department of Defense released a, uh, a directive that had to do with regards to climate change adaptation. It was the first of its kind, and it's only been in existence for about a year, so I suspect that it, too, will continue to evolve as experience is developed in future and more research and input is provided to it by the different agencies and uh, industry as well. So I'll provide a link to that one for anyone who's listening. You'll be able to uh, find the, the uh, links to all these different publications in our show notes that will be associated with today's podcast interview. So these are Great, and I, I really appreciate Orson identifying that particular publication. So I do have one more question, and then we're going to move into our final close-up uh, segment of today's interview. And this is really, I guess, more of a question that they kind of ask you to look into the uh, crystal ball, uh, looking into the future. And from an Arctic engineer's perspective, uh, with the experience that you have, what do you see as the most vexing civil engineering challenge that... Arctic engineers are going to have to face in the coming 10 to 20 years, and how is it going to be solved? Well, we're all watching global politics these days. Uh, that affects everyone, engineers included. But the uh, issue of making predictions of developing design criteria, which for civil engineers certainly is, is always some extreme, some extreme event in nature that has never occurred. You're designing for that uh, 50, 100 year event in terms of return period, traditionally, that hasn't been encountered at the site, has never been measured there. So how are you to do that and address the changing climate? It's very difficult. An example is this uh, newsworthy retreat of the Arctic sea ice. Uh, the, it's been 
worse than predictions. There's been more retreat, less ice than anyone was able to predict. And these are agencies with massive resources and all sorts of intense modeling and field measurements to apply. They, they still missed the mark. The consequence of retreating sea ice was worse than they predicted. So it's going to be hard to be conservative and make allowances in terms of large safety factors is, is, is expensive. And it's back to uh, politics and the state of the world that it's hard to invest in infrastructure when the economy of the nation and the world is wavering up and down. I hope that is a good enough answer. It is, Orson. I appreciate that because, I mean, you're right. It's a that it was a challenging question. It's not a black and white answer with a lot of the, the flux in the world, not only just from an environmental standpoint, from a uh, man-made standpoint, it certainly can provide uh, a wide range of, of outcomes and final results. So I appreciate the perspective, especially from someone who has as much experience as you do in the Arctic environment. So I, I appreciate that. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now it's time for our CE Hot Seat segment, which in today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, PPI. Engineers often ask me what exam prep materials review courses they should use when preparing for the FE or PE exam. And hands down, I recommend PPI. I personally use PPI's materials to pass my exams, and I recently had the chance to demo their civil FE and PE review courses, and it's why I feel confident recommending PPI for those of you planning to take the next step in your professional career. PPI is offering a special 20% discount to listeners of this podcast. Just use the promo code CIVIL at ppitopass.com. Again, that's PPI, the number two, pass.com. And use promo code CIVIL for a 20% discount. Orson, uh, to close out today's interview, I have, I have two final questions for you. And the, the first is really more of a, I guess I'll call it a kind of a personal uh, question for you. It's what's been your most memorable Arctic engineering experience in your career? Okay, I take the most pride in my university experience because it was time when I was engaged with students as well as colleagues in practice to develop courses and delivery methods such as online education in the Arctic engineering program at University of Alaska Anchorage. But I also remember it's been 20 plus years now. An assignment I had before I joined the university, I was with the Army Corps of Engineers here in Alaska, and I had the assignment to consider the impact of uh, increased traffic on the northern sea route. This is the uh, ocean ship route across northern Russia, and how would that impact U.S. ports? So that was a fascinating challenge, uh, and it for me personally, it was a great adventure. I found myself on an icebreaker cruise. I visited Russia at an interesting time in history, 1995, and I have fond memories of that experience. Thanks, Orson, for sharing that with me. As you were mentioning that, I had a smile on my face because of some of the just experiences I've had just in, seriously with the last 12 months of my life. So it's, it's great to hear that. And I've got one final question, uh, because it's one that we ask all of our guests on the Civil Engineering Podcast. It's the critical Civil Engineering Career Advice question. It's 
if you found yourself in an elevator with a civil engineer and you literally had 30 to 40 seconds with him or her and had to give them some career advice in that short period of time, what would it be? Chris, I retired as an academician, so a bit embedded still in that culture. And even speaking as someone active in the ASCE, I, I would have to say you have to keep learning. If you stop learning, you're, you're not just standing still, you're going backwards. But this is the 21st century, and a practicing engineer has to work hard to keep up. We've been discussing climate change and how that adds an additional challenge on top of all the other things engineers must attend. That continuing education is absolutely vital, and don't ever let it slip. And that would be my advice. I'm come from the uh, from the practicing side of the engineering career, but I will echo your sentiments that uh, that that no one can ever stop learning. And uh, and I, I really appreciate those comments because it, it really really bolsters a lot of what Anthony and I try to uh, convey through the podcasts and the other other outlets that we have with the engineering career coach. So I, I really appreciate those comments, and I I truly understand what you're saying. We have a lot of material to link up onto the show notes for today's podcast, and you can always go and find those show notes at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Just look for episode number 52, and you're going to find a summary of many and probably all of the key points that were discussed in today's episode, as well as links to the resources and websites that were mentioned. There's several of those there. And if you're very interested or even remotely interested in Arctic engineering and some of the cold regions aspects that Orson and I discussed about today, you can go find those web links there and begin to develop your understanding and uh, deepen your knowledge about those aspects. So I really appreciate if you go and look at those. As always, you can leave a question or comments in the Ask Us tab on the website or in the comments section for the actual podcast, episode number 52 itself. And we monitor all those comments and we're going to respond if you leave us one. Again, I appreciate, Orson, you taking the time to join me today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chris. I've enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. And it was a great, great conversation. I hope that all of you out there that are listening enjoyed it as well. And until our next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering endeavors. Thank you for listening to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Be sure to visit civilengineeringpodcast.com where you can listen to past episodes and also submit your project to be featured on the show. We also invite you to visit our main website at engineeringcareercoach.com and download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also help to develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success. 